Hello, I am Joe Faldette, the pastor from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, whether you're on the Community Access channel or whether you're on YouTube or BitChute or Podcast or any of the other formats that we have, I'm glad that you're able to join us uh, through our media channels. We pray that God would bless you. As I'm preparing this, the reason that I'm preaching like this today is simply because I'm going to be at camp all next week. I'm going to be missing this Sunday. And since I'm going to be at camp all week, I'm not going to be able to edit. Well, I don't edit the video. Thank you for Stephanie, to Stephanie Buss for doing that. Um, but I'm not going to be able to get everything organized. So I figured that I would preach this sermon and then get that out early. So as I'm preparing this today or preaching this today, I'm getting ready for a wedding that we're going to be having today. It's Thursday, and Abby Hagen and Colton Pausch are going to be getting married today at Voss Park, and so I want to congratulate them as well. But I was thinking about weddings, and so you're going to get a part of the wedding sermon, you're going to get an aspect of it, uh, but then also we're going to try to apply that to the rest of our lives and the church as well. And so as we begin, I'm going to start out reading Genesis 2 verses 23 through 25. They read in Jesus' name. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, Lord, to strive to live these things out, to apply them to our lives, to understand these truths, I pray that you would bless us and that you would guide us, Lord, that you might be glorified in us properly, Lord, that we wouldn't be spreading lies about you in our very lives, but rather that we would be living in righteousness, that the truth of you might come out through our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, what is this talking about? Like, there is, there is so much in this passage, things that before I was preparing for this wedding sermon, I've never thought about before, but I woke up this morning and I started understanding some of these things um, for whatever reason. But it was, it was this morning at about 5 o'clock that I started to come to an understanding, not a full understanding, mind you, but an applicable understanding. And so this is a part of it. I, God revealed a part of it that I might then be able to bring it to you, bring it to us, that we might be able to live this stuff out better, these truths out better. Now, the first part I want to draw your attention to is that Adam says, because she, was, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so what we see here is we see a dividing of the person. And so Adam an aspect of Adam was removed from Adam for the sake of woman. And so before this, and the church fathers talk about the hermaphroditic realities of the first man, that Adam encompassed both the masculine and the feminine. And Adam encompassed all of that. And I don't want to get into what all of that means and what all that would look like because, you know, this is, this is pre-fall. This is, this is creation, you know, right at the beginning of creation. And things pre-fall, things pre-flood, things right at the beginning of creation, they look so different than what we interact with right now. But what you see is you see the dividing of the person. And so that's important because that means that 
the masculine isn't everything and the feminine isn't everything. I'm not always right. I can't see everything. I can't do everything. Um, I can't be everything as the masculine. And my wife or any woman can't see everything, be everything, do everything. She can't exist as a complete entity just as the feminine. And I can't exist as a complete entity in this world as the masculine. That isn't speaking about singleness. Now, within singleness, there is the opportunity still to represent the masculine outside of a marriage relationship. And so the marriage relationship isn't the only place to exemplify the masculine. The masculine can be exemplified anywhere. The feminine can be exemplified anywhere. But we need, in order to get the complete picture, we need both the masculine and the feminine, which is one of the problems with what's going on in our culture today in this phrase, toxic masculinity, because that is the denial of the blessings of the masculine and the fact that God has made the masculine to be masculine and that that masculine needs to represent the masculinity of God, needs to represent not the maleness, the masculinity of God. And so the characteristics of the masculine, because at this point, God separated these so that they could then have community and interact and so that they could grow so that both the male and the female, the masculine and the feminine could grow, could be built up, could be sanctified, could be brought into a greater communion with God, could then understand both the feminine, because the masculine without the feminine can't understand the feminine, and the feminine without the masculine can't understand the masculine. And so we need both aspects. And so as Adam was separated into Adam and Eve, we see the beginning of relationships beginning of relationships. And so it's in relationship then that God builds us together, that God teaches us, that God sanctifies us. And that relationship, that is good. That both the division and the reunification were good because both of these things happened before the fall. And so the masculine and the feminine differences are not an effect of the fall. The arrogance that comes with them is an effect of the fall. But the differences themselves, they are not bad. And so I can't look at my wife and say, well, because she's not more like a man, she's not as good. And she can't look at me and say, because Joe's not more feminine, he's not as good. No, those differences are within us. It's because they happened pre-fall. And that's important. That's important that they happened pre-fall. And so then God continues this. And so then we get the, the editorial comment from Moses, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what's this talking about? What is this reality of the one flesh? So this happens in the sexual union. This is marriage. You know, marriage is an aspect of the wedding. An aspect of marriage is the ceremony. It's all of this stuff, all of this, um, you know, the dresses and the tuxes and the, the reception afterwards and, and all the preparation beforehand, all of that stuff is build up of, to the wedding. And the marriage ceremony is asking God to bless the wedding, the bringing together of these two things, the marriage of these two people. 
And so all of that stuff is preparation of hearts and minds and souls to bring a person, these two people, into that marriage. What Moses is saying here is that that, an aspect of that is the sexual union. And the sexual union binds two people together physically. And that's what one of the powers of that sexual union and one of the dangers of it as well. Because if that sexual union is used simply for the sake of pleasure, it's negating, it's missing the power of it. And then it's actually abusing the power of it. So it becomes really dangerous and it becomes really damaging. And it actually becomes polluting. And it becomes polluting to the individual that's engaged in it. And it becomes polluting to the whole culture. Because God tells us in the book of, I think it's, um, I didn't prepare to talk about this, but one of the minor prophets, I want to say it's Malachi, but I might be wrong. It could be Micah too. Um, that if a man divorces his wife, gets married to another, and then divorces her and remarries the first woman, he says, this is not allowed. Will not the land then be polluted? And that's important because this reality of what we're engaged in nowadays in America with fornication going, being everywhere is not healthy. It is polluting our land. It is polluting our people. It is changing the way that we interact with the world because one of the reasons that God gave us sex was to bind us together was to bind us together. It creates one flesh. But that one flesh relationship isn't an end. It is an aspect of the unity, of the reunification that God wants to bring about within marriage. And God wants to bring about this reunification in marriage at all levels of a person. And so, when it comes to desires, God wants to bring about this reunification because my desires as Masculine, as a man, I have masculine desires. My desires as the masculine aren't complete desires. My wife's desires as the feminine aren't complete desires. And so we bring those back together within the marriage relationship so that we might understand the world better. We might interact with the world better. And so our desires need to be brought into unity with each other. And what does that mean? That means that I am called then to have humility as I interact with her. And I'm actually going to bring you to a passage in Ephesians where Paul talks about the church, unity in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, Paul says, I therefore, 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what's Paul saying here? If you are a member of the church, you have been united to every other member of the church. And so in a marriage relationship, you have been united to that partner. You have been united to your spouse. You have been united to your husband or you have you've been united to your wife. You have been united to this person. And so what is your responsibility now? It is to maintain. One aspect is to maintain that unity. And so you have, if you are married, if you have had um, sexual intimacy with a person, if you've had that, what does that mean? 
you now have a unity with that person. And so Paul says here, your responsibility is to maintain that unity. Your first step, one of the aspects of this, maybe not first step, but one of the aspects. I can't, you know, put these in a hierarchical order. I struggle with that. You know, what's more important? I don't know. But one of the aspects, one of the facets, one of the things to look at, one of the jobs, one of the responsibilities within this is to maintain that unity. It has been given to you. This is a gift from God. That unity has been brought into this situation. And now you have a responsibility there to maintain that unity. But not just to maintain it. To grow it and to build it. So within the marriage, you know, this is speaking about desires, but then within the congregation, within any group of people that you've been brought together with, within the church, specifically the church, the world can't fulfill this because the world does not have the unity of the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit drawing them together and keeping them together. The world can't do this. As, but we as Christians can. And that's why, and it's so important that we as Christians do, that we pursue this unity, that we pursue the maintenance of this unity that the Holy Spirit has given us, and that we pursue it in the church and that we pursue it in our marriages because the church is like a marriage. Paul says that. It's speaking about Christ in the church. So we need to be maintaining this. eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it needs maintenance. It needs work. This unity, this unification, because it's supposed to happen at every level, both within the congregation and within the marriage. So I spoke about desires. How do we bring those desires together? How do we create, how do we bring that unity of the flesh into the unity at every other level. Just look at desires. Well, Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So humility says, my way isn't necessarily the only way, nor is my way necessarily the right way. And that is important. Because that's what I said earlier. This arrogance that comes with our differences. And so I look at things this way. My wife looks at things another way. What does that mean? That means that I'm right. You have your, as a friend of mine once said, you have your way, I have my way. I like to call my way the right way. <laughs> I use that far too frequently. Um, thankfully, I do mean it as a joke. Because the fact that we have different ways of looking at this means that there isn't necessarily only one thing to look at. This is, you know, this is the problem between the Republicans and the Democrats right now. It's the arrogance that's going on within our country. This is the problem between the libertarians and the anarchists. It's the arrogance. Do the anarchists actually have something to bring to the table? Yes, we need to listen to them. You know, does the feminine have something to bring to the table? Yes, we need to listen to the feminine. Does the masculine have something to bring to the table? Yes, we need to listen to the masculine. When we're talking as churches, when we're talking as a congregation, everybody has something to bring to the table because they all have a different perspective. And that perspective needs to be listened to. And we all need to interact with this in humility. Saying, my way might not necessarily be the only way. 
I might not be right here. There might be something that I'm missing. And so if I am arrogant, I close my mind and I say, no, that thing that I see, that's the only thing that's important. In the marriage, that thing that I see is the only thing that's important. It's like, well, but my spouse sees something different. Well, that means that they're a failure because they're not seeing what I'm seeing. That is arrogance. That is pride. That is sinful pride. Because that is the exaltation of self. And that is the diminishing of another. That is pride. That is arrogance. So what does Paul say? We approach this with humility. We listen. Be swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not create the righteousness that God requires. As we're told in the book of James, God has given us the method. How do we interact with this? We submit to Christ. Say, okay, Christ's way is best. I need to listen. I need to listen. It's not hear. It's listen. So I need to listen to my wife. I need to listen to my fellow congregant. I need to listen to my fellow Christian. I need to listen. Because that is humility. Why are they doing what they're doing? We're told in the book of Proverbs that the heart of man is a deep well, but the one of understanding will draw it out. What's really going on? Why do they act that way? Why do they say those things? What is going on? Why do I want these things? So we need humility to build that unity that Christ has given us. And as I interact with my fellow Christian, you know what I learn? I learn that Christ can work through them too. I learn more about my Lord. I learn more about Christ because this struggle that I have with my fellow Christian or this struggle that I have with my spouse, the purpose of those is to draw us together as humans, but then also to draw us together with Christ because I can't do this just with my fellow Christian. I need to do this with my fellow Christian and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. I need to do this in prayer. I need to do this in his word. I need to do this seeking him. I need to do this in his presence. I need to build that unity amongst the body in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of Christ, through the working of his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be drawing us together and guiding us in this. So it's in your humility. That unity's already been given. Well, I don't feel like we're unified. That means that you've done something wrong. You have scuttled that unity. So what happens when problems come up? Okay, an issue arises. Now we have an issue. What does that teach you? Well, obviously something has changed. No. That disunity has always existed. You've just never noticed it before. It's like you're walking down the street or walking down the sidewalk and you've walked down the sidewalk a hundred times. But this time, you trip over a lip in the sidewalk. Wow, that's strange. I didn't know that was there. Why? Never run into it before. So that lip might have existed every one of those hundred times. That disunity might have existed every one of those hundred times. All this time that you've been interacting with that person, you've never experienced this disunity. Why? Just never tripped on it. You've never kicked it. 
You've never run into it. That doesn't mean that it's finally just appeared. That doesn't mean that the person has changed and that I have changed, although we are always changing. But it doesn't mean that they've become negative or that I've become you know, more sanctified and so now I'm seeing it. It's like, no, we've just had an opportunity to run into it. This disunity probably always existed within our relationship. We just never had an opportunity to explore it before. And so when we feel that tension, when that disunity comes in, we can say, thank you, God. Now I have an opportunity to build unity at another level, in another place, in another situation. Now I have this opportunity to build this unity again, to rebuild it. Now I have this opportunity to get to know you better because I can see this situation through their eyes and through your eyes, God. Thank you. So we have the word of God. We bring that to bear. We bring that to bear in light of the other Christians. We bring that to bear in light of our spouse, the husband and the wife. We bring these things together that we might build that unity. And as we encounter those conflicts, then those difficulties, those bumps in the road, we can say, thank you, God, for this opportunity to continue to build our unity. Instead of saying, oh, no, there's something wrong. Maybe we've got to jump ship. No. This is an opportunity. This is a blessing. This is a blessing because it can build my relationship with Jesus. It can build my relationship with my fellow Christian. It can build my relationship with my spouse. It can build my relationship with my children. It can build my relationship with all of these people. And those relationships are good. They are good. God said it is very good. And so we want to be building those relationships. But the way we do that is humility. Secondly, gentleness. Because if we come at this like a bull in a china shop, just crashing things, just breaking things, well, one, that's not humility. But that gentleness becomes really important because as we work these things out, Solomon says that a brother offended is harder to win than a walled city. And so if I am trying to work this out, I should not be seeking to offend my brother. I shouldn't be seeking to just get my way. One, that's not humility. Two, that's not gentleness. Because if I'm just seeking to get my way, then I am actually diminishing my brother. I am diminishing my spouse. I'm diminishing my children. I'm diminishing the other person in the relationship that I'm with. I am diminishing that person. I'm saying that they are less than me. And that is a response to my arrogance, but that is also cruelty. That is not gentleness. And I'm not acting in love towards that person. That person that Jesus loves. And so I act towards them with gentleness, seeking to maintain my relationship with them because I also want to maintain their relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be a stumbling block in their relationship with Jesus. So I interact with this person with gentleness. Because that's how we maintain this unity is through gentleness. It's not through cruelty. It's not through running roughshod. It's not through just getting my way. It's not through emotional manipulation that I'm finally going to browbeat this person until they give in or until they jump ship. That's not what we do. We don't, we don't nag at them. We don't ignore them. We don't do those things. We seek to maintain that unity that Christ has given us, whether that be through the sexual union or whether that be through becoming a Christian because that's the unity of the church. If we're all united to Christ, we're all one. Every Christian, no matter which denomination, no matter which country, no matter which tradition they're in, no matter what language we speak, we are all one in Christ. And so we need to maintain that unity. 
We need to pursue that unity in the bond of peace that Christ has given us as we have peace with him. Therefore, he has given us peace with our fellow Christians. We do that with gentleness. That's the method. The attitude is humility. The method is gentleness with patience. Because it takes time to change. It takes time to learn. It takes time to listen. It takes time. These things take time. I can't just ram in and punch someone into my way of thinking. I can't beat someone into my way of thinking, whether that be physically or emotionally or intellectually. I can't just beat them into my way of thinking. I have to interact with them with patience, understanding that it's going to take time for us to come to unity because I'm going to have to change some and they're going to have to change some because I'm not 100% right and they're not 100% right. None of us are 100% right. And so we both need to change. And so I need to have patience with myself and I need to have patience with the person that I'm interacting with, with my fellow Christian or with my spouse or with my children. I need to have patience with them. This is what God is calling me to. And so as I fail in my patience, and I do, this is an opportunity for me to renew my relationship with Christ. Because what's the purpose of this relationship? It's also sanctification. There's all sorts of purposes in relationships. But this is an opportunity for me to confront the sin in my heart, the impatience in my heart, Why do I get so mad? It's because I'm impatient. Oh, God, forgive me. I'm not representing you properly. Well, how would you interact with this? How do you interact with me? God is patient. Two have become one flesh. Husband, be patient. That's what Peter tells us. Interacting with our wife as if a weaker, if as if a weaker vessel, as the weaker vessel. Not saying that she is weaker, but that's how men are called to respond to our wives, with gentleness and with patience. Wives, patience, honor, humility towards your husband, because the goal isn't to get our way. The goal is unity. Is maintaining that unity, bringing it into every level of our relationship. Where there is disunity, where it's dissension, where there's discord. What does that mean? That means there's an opportunity to bring unity into this situation. Not an opportunity for me to get my way. Not an opportunity for me just to submit. It's an opportunity to try to create unity, to come onto the same page. I don't just knuckle under, give in. Or browbeat until I get my way. No, we strive for unity, for understanding. We do that with patience, with gentleness, with humility. These are the attitudes and the methods that we bring. This is the timeline that we interact with. We interact with a timeline of patience, knowing that this is going to take time. Why? Because Christ interacts with us that way. This is the love of Jesus in our lives. That he is giving us these situations. That he is revealing to us these places of disharmony. So that we might be sanctified. So that we might come into a better relationship with him. So that we might come into better relationships with other people. With other Christians. With our spouse and with our children. This is what God wants. This is God's desire. This is God's goal for our lives.
bearing with one another in love. I'm not going to put that down. Bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? What is love? Love is that which seeks to build up the other, to grow the other, to bless the other. And so I'm bearing with them in love. I'm bearing with them. I'm striving for humility, to listen, to understand, to really look at things from their side. That's work. I'm striving for that. That's humility in action. To be able to try to see these things through the eyes of the other instead of just through my own eyes because that's arrogance. It's not just about me trying to get them to see it through my eyes. It's about me trying to see it through theirs. That's humility. That's listening. Being slow to, spe- or slow to speak, quick to listen, swift to listen. That's humility. I do that in order to build them up, to encourage them, to bless them with patience. I do that in order to bless them and in order to draw nearer to Christ because through that he's sanctifying me in gentleness because this is how Christ works with me. Where I'm wrong, Christ does not come in with a two by four and hit me upside the head. Sometimes that happens, but that's when my arrogance stands against Christ's gentleness. That's not God's first option. That, and God doesn't do that very often. If God did that often, we would all be broken messes. But God interacts with us in gentleness. He doesn't just destroy everything we have because God interacts with us in gentleness. Why? Because it's love. Bearing with one another. This means that there's a struggle and there's a strain and there's a cost to this. If I have to bear with something, I don't bear with dessert. I love dessert. It's great. I don't bear with it. I'm eager for it. I delight in it. But if I bear with something, that means that it's taking an emotional cost to me. It's taking a spiritual cost to me. And so this means that I have to put work into this relationship in love in order to build this person up. With that mindset, that mindset of love, I'm doing this to build them up, seeking their betterment, seeking their blessing, seeking their relationship to Jesus, knowing that Jesus is providing for me, knowing that Jesus is blessing me, knowing that I am connected with Jesus. And when I start to become tapped out, you know what that means? That I'm not doing this in relationship with Jesus. And so that exhaustion, that spiritual exhaustion means that this that there's something wrong in my relationship with Jesus. And that's great too. That is such a blessing because it reveals that step in my relationship with Jesus where I need to be brought into unity with Christ. That there's some arrogance in me towards Christ. That there's some disunity in me towards Christ. Because Jesus isn't wrong at all. And so if I am bearing with one another in love, if I'm bearing with this person that I'm struggling to create unity with in love, and, that, and I start to feel exhausted. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that I need to separate myself from this person necessarily. That means there's something wrong in my relationship with Jesus. And whether that means that I'm not taking Christ's advice, trying to do this my own way, whether that means I'm not spending time with Christ, whether that means that I'm Christ's advice, Christ's command, you know, like the Matthew 18, that's a command. Uh, the Sabbath, taking time of rest, that's a command. We need that. 
We need that time of holiness, that time set apart for Jesus. We need that quiet time. We need that deeper relationship. That means that I don't have, that there's something wrong in my relationship with Jesus. If I can't bear with another Christian in love, that means that there's something wrong in my relationship with Jesus. Or that I'm pursuing the wrong thing in this relationship. If I'm pursuing my way just to finally get this person to see things my way, that means there's something wrong. I'm not interacting with this in humility. And I need to fix my relationship with Jesus because I'm not living in obedience. We think about that. Those are big things. This is what Moses is talking about. This is what God is talking about. This is what Adam is talking about in Genesis. This unity. Because this unity needs to exist in every level of our relationships, in every one of our relationships, specifically those of the body of Christ. And I know that this is, this is deep. But the Holy Spirit would take part of this and, and bring it to light. The only reason that I understand any of this stuff is because it came to light last night, well, actually this morning, about 5 o'clock, I woke up with this sermon, with these understandings. I've never thought about this stuff before. But at 5 o'clock this morning, it came about. It's not like, whoa, Joe's pretty smart. He thought this stuff's through. It's like, no, this just popped out. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This is out of love for our fellow person, out of love for God, in affection for Jesus, and in affection for those whom Jesus loves. Because God has made us one. And what God has brought together, let not man separate. Whether that be in the church, or whether that be in the marriage, doesn't matter. What God has brought together, let not man separate. And so we are called to pursue unity. Not to be victims of disunity, but where that disharmony, where that disunity comes in, we are to pursue unity in those situations. We are called to take action of love for Jesus because Jesus has given us this bond of peace. Jesus has gifted us with this. So we're called to maintain that both in the marriage and in the church. Because both are images of the other. And what I do in my marriage is going to reflect how I interact with other Christians in the church. What I do in the church is going to reflect how I interact with my wife in my marriage. So I can't do it in one and not do it in the other because they're going to bleed over. So I strive in all situations as I'm interacting with Christians out of love for Jesus to maintain this peace which he has given me, this gift that he has given us. And when I fail, and I do, and I'll confess that, I'll be the first to confess that I fail in these things. I am striving to this end. This is something that I pursue. Humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love with patience. Pursue that. Oh, pursue that. Bearing. Pursue that. Because this is a gift and it is good. And as I fail, it's an opportunity for me to come back to Jesus 
and rebuild that relationship with him because it shows a disunity in my relationship with Jesus. And then that gives me the opportunity to get sin, some sin, out of my life. Because sin is always detrimental. Sin always creates disunity. So if you're married, if you have children, if you are a Christian, you can take this. Paul is telling you, you have been given unity. God is telling us, we have been given unity. Maintain it. Build it up. Seek that unity at every level. And the way to do that? Humility. Gentleness. Patience. The attitude of humility. The method of gentleness. The timeline of patience. And the energy of bearing with one another in love. It's going to take a weight. Why? Eagerly. It's a gift. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. It will draw you closer to Christ as it draws you closer to each other. Praise God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the unity that you have given us in marriage and in the church. I thank you. Bless us now as we pursue this unity. Lord, that we wouldn't exploit it. And that we wouldn't exist here just to get our way or to be fulfilled. But Lord, that we would pursue that unity that you have given us. That we might be sanctified. Lord, and that we might be drawn closer to you as we fail. That we might be humbled as we fail. Lord, that we might learn to love. That we might learn gentleness. That we might learn patience. Teach us these things as we pursue to maintain this gift. To build this gift that you have given us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.